1: Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group, and it is Friday, March 9th. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you our guest today, Mary Beth Kosmeski. And Mary Beth is the author of a book called, And the Clients Went Wild. And uh, Mary Beth is going to talk to us a little bit about uh, the book and, and some of the other things that she does in, in the rest of her life uh, beyond being an author and uh Mary Beth why don't you just give us a little bit of your background and and again uh I will just turn it over to you and let you lead us here.
2: Well great. Well thank you so much for having me on. I um I wrote this book and the clients went wild. It was actually the fifth book that I that I wrote and I have a consulting firm that I started back in 1994. It's a marketing consulting firm. We do all sorts of you know, anything to help a firm grow their business. So anything from small businesses, medium-sized businesses, and we also work um, with with many Fortune 500 companies in some of their divisions to help them grow their business. So we do everything from marketing collateral to all sorts of things. Um, mostly it's strategy. However, so in right. doing all this, I realized that some of the the companies we were working with were just so good at some of the things they were doing. And I'm like, you know what, I mean, it's the success stories that I get to see, not only from the work that we do, but from what companies have already done. And I thought, you know, what what people need is just a quick read that they can find out what's really working for somebody else as it relates to marketing, because marketing is such a difficult topic because we all know we need it, but very rarely do we know exactly what we're going to do. And so um, because of that, we all have to put together our kind of our own marketing plan. So I wrote this book, and it's kind of like a marketing plan in a book, um, and the clients went wild because it's really how you find more clients and how you get them to go wild about what you're doing so they tell other people about you.
1: Right. Right. Well, I love the term raging fans or raving fans. <laughs> I guess it is. I um, uh, apologize for that slip, but maybe raging fans is, is something that you also have to deal with maybe, before you maybe can it turn is. them into I, raving fans.
2: <laughs> maybe if they're raging in a good way, like a party or something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. Well, that, that just shows where my mind must be today. <laughs> Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we just jump right into the five core principles that you have, have distilled down that are – it really is the formula for turning your clients and prospects into raving fans because, uh, you know, I know that this will be really meaningful no matter whether our members who are listening are entrepreneurs, you know, people in early startup mode or, you know, folks who are in mature businesses maybe that have been sitting at a plateau that really need to revolutionize their relationship with their clients.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the first principle and the reason that it's the first principle is it's about what are you doing that no one else is doing. And I think this is one of the things. It doesn't have to be that you pick something out of the ordinary to start your business with that no one else is is necessarily ever thought of. But what are you doing around what it is that you have that truly builds differentiation? And we talk a lot about well you know what's your what is unique about what you do and we work a lot with financial advisors a financial advisor to a client looks pretty much the same they deliver financial products they do financial planning whatever it might be but it doesn't sound like what they do is very different than from what someone else does but there are things that can differentiate the service you provide and in marketing those are the things that we need to get out there so let's first figure out what is it that you're doing that truly differentiates, and um, it's, one of the, it's one of the most difficult things. We work with clients so hard on trying to find out the messaging of what they do, and so I think for businesses, if you think about, well, what really is different about my business, you might come up with a few things. But I think that exercise is something you need to spend a little bit more time on. Even if you've got a mature business that has been around for a long time, it's actually even more powerful then because you've got to re-engage the people and get them thinking about, hey, wait a minute, I haven't thought about them for a while kind of a thing.
1: Right, right. Well, you know, this just speaks to my heart because differentiation is something I'm incredibly passionate about. And, you know, I think it's so hard. And I come out of a background from the travel industry and and working with people who are trying to marry buyers and sellers of all different kinds uh, in the travel industry through different channels. And, And, you know, there's so much buzz about social media and about mobile and, you know, I think that people have to get back to the place that that whole issue of delighting your client has to be consistent through all of your different touch points. So can you talk to us about a couple of the, the elements of differentiation? Because we were just talking uh, before the, the call started with one of our members who's, uh, you know, working on launching a new airline using an, an uh, a brand that was much-loved. Uh, when it was around, so you know, again, you can be dealing with something, you know, mixing the old and the new, but but getting to that place of client delight. So, can you give us a couple of examples?
2: Well, I think client delight starts when you've got something that truly differentiates and that causes delight. So you might, so it sounds pretty obvious, right? Well, you gotta if you if you want to delight your clients, you have to have something that delights them. But that's the difficult part. So in the story I did, or in the book, I, I wrote a story about a gas station in Texas. And um, if anybody lives anywhere near Texas or, or has ever driven through Texas, there's a gas station chain called Bucky's. And Bucky's is all over the place, right? They're larger than life. But when they started, they thought, what could we do? that would really differentiate us from other gas stations. And if you think about what most businesses use to differentiate, it's better. Well, we've got better this, better prices, better location. And in the case of gas stations, they say things like, well, we've got cleaner gasoline, which is better. And so it's all based on we do something just a little bit better than everybody else. But Bucky's decided that being better wasn't exactly what they wanted to do, because it didn't really – better doesn't really differentiate. So they decided that they wanted to be different. So they started asking their customers, what do you like least about gas stations? And what they said, and you can imagine what the results were, was that the thing that people like least about gas stations is the restrooms. And so they thought about this. Well, we don't really get paid when someone goes to the bathroom at our gas station. And most of the time when we think of our differentiator in business, we're thinking of something that we get paid for. I've got to differentiate based on my core product. But Bucky decided that they were going to do something. They were going to treat the people that were coming to their gas station with something that was going to surprise and delight them. They cleaned up their bathrooms, So they hired one person at every single location across the state of Texas, and they've got tons of locations across Texas. One person at each location full time to do one thing, and that is clean the bathrooms. And when you go to a Bucky's gas station, it's unbelievable because – The bathroom is literally like the Four Seasons or the Rich Carlton. I mean, you actually want to hang out in there for a little while. And it's amazing. They've got couches in there and stuff. They really did it. But then they decided that they were going to exploit this uniqueness. They weren't just going to have clean bathrooms and let people find out about it by surprise. They decided to use that as their differentiator to promote to get people to come to their gas station. So they put billboards up across the state of Texas, and one of their billboards says – this and I wrote about it in the book. Only 262 miles to Bucky's. You can hold it. And um, if you think about, if you're driving along the roads, you know, Texas, and you look up and you glance up, and something says, "Only 262 miles to Bucky's." Oh, you can hold it. You might actually laugh out loud and think, <laughs> well, "I don't really think I can hold it." For what is this place? What are they talking about? And they created literally through this focus. On what they've done to clean up what people like least about gas stations, they have built a cult following. The first time I went to Bucky's, the parking lot was packed full. And by the way, I passed three gas stations along the way to get to them. They're off the beaten path. They're not the best location. They don't have the best prices, but they had the most people. And it was, you know, they've got t shirts and mugs and bumper stickers with the Bucky's logo on it, and people are in there buying the stuff up. They've got people taking, there was literally a line outside the Bucky's of people that were waiting to get their picture taken with their family with the Bucky sign behind them on their camera phones and then, you know, uploading that to the Bucky's website and talking about their last trip to Bucky's. And I'm thinking, we don't take a trip to a gas station. You know, they've turned this into a real experience. And I think that's one of the things that most businesses miss because we're looking at our core product. We're not looking at what surrounds it that actually could be the differentiator.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's the experience. You know, and I I think, you know, in in our industry, the travel industry, you know, it should be so obvious. But, uh, you know, one of the things that we're doing in this new business I'm creating is, you know, all of the online travel sites and even travel agents, it's all about, you know, getting you to a city center or an airport. And, you know, that's not where people go for the most part. I mean, city centers, yeah, maybe for business travel, but people go to weddings and they go to funerals and they go, uh, you know, to soccer tournaments and they, they go places and they go to do things and to attend events. And so we are are taking that and and again marketing and this kind of leads into your next principle marketing the benefit and the results and the call to action and what's really in it for them you know is is to actually be able to focus on where they're going and and silly enough we're calling it travel to my places because it's about mm-hmm. them it's not about you know the the uh, and and pardon pardon to our uh, our member on the phone who's starting an airline but it's not about the airline seat it's not about the hotel room you know, most people aren't going just for the components. So talk to us about the second principle because, you know, again, I think that this whole notion of what's really in it for the customer is so critical. Yeah, there, there's
2: no question. I, I, You know, in all the work we've done with, with businesses and firms that have tried to improve their marketing or that had good marketing, it comes down to one thing. And I, and I always relay that the biggest mistake in marketing – is not that you're not spending enough money. And that's usually what people think. Boy, if I had more money to spend, I'd spend it on my marketing. I'd try to get some more people in the door. But the biggest mistake in marketing is actually not messaging yourself properly. And so you've got to figure out principle one first, and then you get to principle two and say, okay, how am I going to relate to people not what it is but what they get? And, you know, I think we talk a lot in features. We don't talk in benefits. That's just right. kind of natural to do that. So uh, I, I give another example of a financial – well, I, I use an insurance agent. Let's say you're at a business function and um, you walk up to somebody and they say you, – you, you know, you're, you're meeting with people and somebody says, oh, what do you do? And you say, well, um, I'm an insurance agent. Or you say, I'm a financial advisor. That's very black and white. It's very feature-oriented. It is what it is. It's authentic. But that person who's just asked you that question cannot wait to get away from you. They're thinking, oh, my gosh, an insurance agent? Oh, I don't want to be sold anything right now. And they want to go away. Now, financial advisors and insurance agents know that that's the reaction that people have when they say, I'm an insurance agent. Or I'm a financial advisor. They go, oh, no they know that's the they know that's the impact that they have they're there to attract people to them they're actually repelling them and the problem is is that that's just what they say it's just the feature instead of saying something that actually attracts somebody to want to listen to what you have to say and here's another thing you say well why should i do business with your firm instead of uh, the firm down the street you say well you know i've been doing this for 20 years and i've got these certifications and this and that and those are all features. You've right. been doing it for 20 years. That's not a benefit. In fact, I might think to myself, if I was going to think long enough about this, maybe the benefit is, maybe the result is that you've been in the business too long. Maybe you right. don't know technology. How do I know that the other person is going to come to a positive conclusion? Maybe they're going to think, boy, she, maybe she's too old, you know. So if you think about if you want people – And by the way, the attention span today is 17 seconds. If the attention span is 17 seconds, nobody is really spending the time to think about what's so great about you. You're either going to give it to them in a way that they're going to accept it, or they're not. And I don't think that you have to be braggadocious, but I think you've got to tell them. And I've got a a connector statement that we um, actually learned from a CEO, and this is: he says he never uses... Um, a feature statement or he tries never to without having this connector statement and talking about the benefits. So somebody says, why should I do business with you? And you say, well, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. Let me tell you why I think that's important. And then you (laughs) give them the benefit. And so it's the same thing. You say, well, I've got all these certifications. I've got my PhD. I've done this and that. Let me tell you why I think that's important. And you stop. See, we do this with clients all the time. If a client is in front of us, we're presenting something to them. You say, this is why I chose this for you. This is why I think this is the best for you. This is why we came up with this solution for you. But when we're having conversations, we just talk in features, and we actually either repel them or don't attract them to us because they're, we're not giving them any reason to listen. And with the attention span of 17 seconds, they're not spending the time trying to think about it. So the whole second principle is really about Finding what you're going to say that might actually resonate with somebody and every business is different and every product that you're selling is different and every company and every person is going to express this differently. And we've given some worksheets and some things inside of the book to help you come up with what is really that benefit statement that you should be talking in.
1: Right, right. Well, let's move on to the next one. And and this one uh <laughs> Is, uh, again you you've just like hit on every single thing i'm going through right now and i guess this is this is normal with people who are in startup mode the next one is about going viral creating memorable impactful messaging and here's the the kicker worthy of a pass along and i think people think about and especially those of us who have young kids they think about the the going viral as you know the the baby videos and you know the guy who uh you know sounds like he's talking through a helium balloon and all of those things that are going viral i saw one yesterday that's this little family of ducks walking along and a big wind comes up and actually knocks all the baby ducks over and like like the mama just gathers them back up and they start walking and those are the things that are viral to us but how do we do that how do we create that impactful messaging that people do actually want to pass along, not because it's funny or weird, but because it really does make an impact.
2: Yes, and I, I think, you know, as we go through the different principles in this book, you see how one principle connects to the other. So, you know, you've got to figure out what you're, what's unique. You've got to figure out what are the benefits of that for the people that are going to have it. And then you have to figure out, How am I going to say it that's a pass-along? We call it a simple, repeatable statement of value. So it's simple, so somebody could actually repeat it to somebody else. Here's the great thing about this firm. It's repeatable, meaning they're actually going to remember to say it, um, and it's value. So it's taking into account what you might say, but then turning it around into what they might say. So I think every firm has an advocate uh, maybe lots of advocates, maybe lots of people that think you're great, maybe a few, it doesn't matter. We all have at least one. And if that one person knew what to say, it would change the way that their messages get passed along. If right. I think you have the greatest firm in the whole world, but I can't really explain it to somebody else, I won't tell I won't tell anybody about it. I just, I won't. Um, but if I know exactly, okay, here's what it is, wow it's it you know i'm going to tell people about it now so i look at viral as being the pass-along factor it's not just uh somebody going to doing a random search on youtube and finding a cool video and watching it or hearing from right. you know a friend you got to go watch this video that would be wonderful but i'm talking more in the grassroots level of here's what we do and here's what this business is about and I can share with somebody else. I can sit down with an advocate and say, if you were to describe my firm to somebody else, what would you say? And then you talk through it and you say, well, what if you said something like this? Oh, my gosh, I know 10 people I could tell that about, you know, that too. And it's those kinds of things that gets word spreading. And most people, most businesses don't spend a lot of time on this particular principle because we just think it's going to happen. But reality is (laughs) sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't
1: right right well coming up with those magic words and 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 really having the right people around you and and realizing that if you don't have that marketing skill internally then it is time to hire a marketing consultant you know particularly if you can't afford a full-time uh, marketing person i was just sharing this uh with one of my best friends yesterday that um you know she had been out uh, actually looking for a job uh, to be a chief marketing officer and, and was, you know, looking during that time when it was just really hard to find a job. And uh, so we were talking yesterday about her. She's been doing marketing consulting and but has been getting really tiny clients. And I said, why don't you go back to those companies you interviewed with that you were really jazzed about and see if they've hired somebody because maybe they haven't. So, you know, I, I think that there are probably some other things that, that you give in your playbook that help people actually move this forward. But let's move on to the fourth principle uh leverage your business network for incremental growth and and again this one is a a bible principle that i live by in business finding and cultivating centers of influence to move your message forward yeah Impact. and it
2: sounds it it sounds very obvious well of course that's what we want to do and that's what we all try to do but When I did some interviews for this book, um, I I realized that the way that some people do networking was very different from the way that I thought networking should be done. So, you know, I'm asking, because I I conducted hundreds of interviews for this book and my previous book, The Connectors, about business relationships and finding out what are you really doing, what are the tactics of, of how you do this, and what I found out is that there's something called what I call contrarian networking. And it's not your typical, I'm going to go out and meet with somebody that could be a strategic alliance for me, and I'm going to tell them about how great I am and all the things that I do, and then I hope that they're going to pass me along to somebody else. Um, One of the things that happens in, in networking itself is, in a typical networking situation, is you go to a networking function, and you walk in the door, and you talk to people, and you try to find people that might be interested in what you're doing. And um, because you want them to buy what it, whatever it is that you're selling. And it's sort of like a, a lead generation type of a thing. You go in, you right. collect business cards, you follow up with them later, but it's very ineffective. And I think that a lot of people who are starting off in the business will say, I'm spending all this time at networking events and I'm not getting anything out of it. Now, some people get tons of things out of it, but more often than not, they're not getting as much as they Think or they hoped that they were going to get from all of this activity that they're generating from all these people they're meeting. So what I heard, and I talked to Dr. Ivan Meisner, who is the CEO of um, of uh, Business International, BNI, uh, Business Networking International, and he said, you know, networking is not about going in and meeting people that want to buy from you or that you hope will buy from you. Networking is about going in a room and finding the people that are the most well connected. Finding who, don't talk to people that you might sell something someday to. Talk to the people that know everybody, the, quote, Mm -hmm. mayor of town, you know. You go in and you meet them and you learn about what they're doing and they learn about what you're doing. Those people can introduce you to 10 people that will do business with you, whereas if you go around and try to sell your services or try to generate interest to 10 people that you're just meeting for the first time, it's very ineffective. And so the whole process is about leveraging it's not about going in and finding leads. It's about going in and leveraging and using those uh, people that really know who you are. And if they're well-connected, it changes everything. And it's a total, it was a unique thing for me. I'm thinking, really? I never thought of that. I never <laughs> thought about going in. And, and you know, what I do now is if I go to a networking event, and I'm, I'm not an introvert and I'm not an extrovert. I'm kind of in the middle but um, that's another thing that, that is a very interesting is introverts are actually better connectors than extroverts because they'll spend the time to prepare because they <laughs> are not exactly thinking that they're going to go in and just shake hands and glad hand everybody and, wow, this is going to be great. They're thinking, I need to know who's going to be there and what I'm going to say to them and how I'm going to open the conversation. Oh, so and so – consequently, introverts can be better connectors than extroverts because they're prepared. A prepared extrovert would be the ultimate. Um, But oftentimes extroverts don't spend the time to do that. But you walk into a meeting and you think, oh, my gosh, I don't really know anyone who's going to be in here. So what I do, and I I go to a lot of functions where I don't know anybody in the room because I might be speaking at the conference the next day or something, and I just really don't know anybody in the room, but I'm going to the cocktail party the night before so the first person I run into, I will say, who is, um, who's running this meeting? You know, who's in charge of the meeting? I'm speaking tomorrow, whatever. And they'll say, oh, um, well, it's you know so-and-so over there. And oftentimes they'll walk me right over to that person.
1: Mm-hmm. And so now
2: I've got the introduction to the person who is, um, uh, you know, running this particular up or running the meeting or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And I will say to them, uh, depending on what meeting I'm at, I will say, who is the number one salesperson in this room? Or I will say, who is the um, the best networker in this room? And they'll say, oh, well, it's definitely Susan over there. And I'll say, oh, well, great. And so I'll either walk over to Susan and say, you know, the organizer told me that you're the best networker in the room. And she'll be like, really? <laughs> and now all of a sudden we've got a conversation, but I know I'm talking to that. the right person. I'm talking to the person that can introduce me to so many other people. I'm talking to the right person. And so that's... Um, that's been my strategy, so I don't walk in and just stand next to the the drink bar and hope that somebody's going to come over and talk to me.
1: Yeah, and you know, um, I'm just I'm exactly like what you described. I mean, you know, people would think because I I interview uh, you know people on the radio, they would think, oh, well, you're you're an extrovert. But you know, you get me in a room full of people I don't know, uh, and and the whole the the whole dynamic changes. Um, you know, it's interesting because the word that pops off of the page there for me is the word cultivate. And I'm, I'm envisioning someone who takes a packet of seeds and walks around and finds places where they could plant whatever it is. And the effect of if they just lay down the seed on top of the soil and walk away versus the person who cultivates the soil, removes the rocks, you know make sure that they you know get the seed down and deep enough and water it and nurture it you know because you have to learn a little bit about the soil before you can plant uh that word cultivate just brings that whole thing to mind yeah absolutely it's it's the it is the perfect word
2: for what we're talking about
1: right so let's move to the the final principle, and and uh, again, in, in my consulting practice, this has been one of my mantras: that uh, the critical importance of execution in your game plan. Good execution is way better than good strategy.
2: Yeah, and I think that you know, if you're starting off a business, you think I've got to have the right strategy, and there's no question. We do strategy that's the number one thing we do is strategy development you need to have good strategy but the most perfect strategy in the whole world we know exactly how we're going to go out and meet these clients and we spend um, months perfecting our strategy but we don't execute it right or we don't fully execute it which is more often than not what happens it's not fully executed or something doesn't work in the beginning and so we drop it and we go okay well the house strategy didn't work and then we move on to something else and what what happens is and we know this to be true, that even an okay strategy implemented fully is way better than the most perfect strategy implemented halfway. And you know, I, I think that in business and I find it a lot with women business owners too, we just want to get it right. We want to get it right, we don't want to mess it up, we want to go out there, we want to be, not that men don't want to be successful, but it just seems like women are very, very um, particular about making sure we're going to go out and we're going to do the right thing and this thing is going to work. And... The problem is, is that sometimes then we get we, we get a little scared if we go. Oh, okay, I did this. It didn't work exactly the way I was gonna I think it was gonna work. I'm trying something else, and it happens a lot with serial entrepreneurs who are always thinking of the next thing. They're on to the next thing. But if we implemented the thing before fully, we might have found that that we had you know more success than we did with that last project. So, um, it's important to have a really solid plan. And what I mean by a plan is not some big, long, written thing that you give to the bank. I mean, we've got to have those things, too. Right. But I'm talking about an action plan. On this date, I'm going to do this. Here's the person that's the lead on that activity. On this date, we're going to do this. It's going to be completed by this date. And just use an Excel spreadsheet to do an action right. plan. And we've got some downloadable things that you can get um, uh, with the book where you can download some of these tools for free um, on our book website in the clientswentwild.com. Because... There, there are just you just need some of these simple tools uh, right. so that you can plan it out and then get it done as opposed to continuing to think about or remember or what am I supposed to do or you outsource and it doesn't work right and then you, there, there's not a lot there's not enough controls or whatever it might be but the plan itself and and we do planning for firms but we know they can do them themselves if they have the right tools and they can segment time block the time in their day to get the stuff planned. Yeah.
1: Exactly, and and that brings me to just the last half of the book, which is the the real practical down and dirty playbook. And the thing I love uh, about this uh, again, it's highly practical, but it also makes both online and traditional marketing. And you know, so many people are so enamored with online, and I know in my industry, uh, online act actually produces much much lower yields for uh, travel suppliers, uh, you know, and across the board, airline, car, hotel, uh, you name it. And yet everybody thinks they want to go online uh, and and not use traditional distribution channels uh, of people who are going to bring them a much higher value customer. So you know, throughout uh this section, and uh, if you just will bear with me for a second, Mary Beth, I wanna just read through this for those who are are listening and, and are, are um you know, thinking about buying the book. Um, they uh begin and hang on here. Um, create a playbook that fits your business and your personality. Design your own marketing action plan. Build a brand identity on a shoestring budget. Spending time effectively can be worth more than money. Find your niche. Create the market one segment at a time. Techniques for creating memorable experience, give them something to talk about. Your best prospects come from referrals, scripts, and strategies for increasing your introductions to others. My website is working. Turn a bland site in your Internet presence into a moneymaker. Social media, effective strategies that don't consume all of your time. Permission-based marketing, strategies for successful email and e-newsletters, media methods to gain celebrity status, take advantage of hot topics, timely events, and unique twists to attract attention. And then Special Tactics for Financial Advisors uh, is, is the last chapter, 10 specific strategies working today. Mary Beth, I just am so grateful for you taking time to be with us today and uh you know just wanna give you a few minutes to uh you know kind of summarize what you were trying to accomplish uh in writing this book and what is the one thing that you want our listeners to take away? The
2: one the absolute one thing is that if you can convey something to somebody else and it resonates with them, they will tell other people about it. And that is not nearly as simple as it might sound, but that's why I wrote the book. So we want our clients and people that know us to go, quote, wild about us, to tell other people about us, to use what's already so great about what we do and sort of exploit that and let people go and tell others about it. I think that in business today – um, we don't use enough of our advocates. We don't. We don't cultivate enough of the advocates. We hope it's going to happen. If I post a video to YouTube, it'll go viral. But see, it uh-huh. doesn't. It doesn't really happen like that. I mean, it does for some people. It does for Justin Bieber. It does for other things. But it doesn't necessarily for a business. And so thinking about how I can get people to talk about what I do, I've got to have something worthwhile for them to talk about, and I've got to be able to share that in a way that they get it and it resonates. And so it's kind of looking at your business as opposed to being in that business from the e We know that, but it's looking at your business and saying, what really is unique and different about this, and then telling other people about it so that they will spread that word.
1: Well, Mary Beth, thank you so much. And I know you mentioned the books website. Um, what is the name of your marketing firm and how can people get in touch with you if they would like to engage you as a marketing consultant?
2: Well, thank you. Um the marketing firm is called Red Zone Marketing
1: mm-hmm. and it's
2: redzonemarketing.com.
1: marketing dot com. you have to book- tell us about that.
2: I will the name was- com-
1: where did the name <laughs> come from?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting because I grew up with a grandmother who loved two things very much in this world. The first thing was her firstborn grandchild, which thankfully was me. And the second thing that she loved very much was the Green Bay Packers. Can you believe it? She was a huge Packers fan, a huge football fan. So because I spent all this time with her because I was her firstborn grandchild, she taught me everything about football. And we spent every Sunday together, and she would quiz me and drill into the, into me all of the rules and the positions and the players and the teams and the calls the referees were making. At halftime of every game that we watched together, she would hand me a piece of paper and say, okay, uh, it's pop quiz time. And she would literally make me break down the offense and the defense in the first half. And I didn't realize it was anything different. Um, I I just thought, well, this must be how everybody. I mean, how do you know that it's different than <laughs> oh, how yeah, somebody else is grown my up? House. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, you know, I had this just incredibly close relationship with this grandmother and this love of football because of her. So when I named my firm. You know, red zone is a football term. It's the final 20 yards before you score in the football field. It's where the most critical things happen, and it's really technically where anything worthwhile happens. It doesn't happen down on the one-yard line. It happens in that red zone area. And I wanted my marketing to reflect that, and I wanted to bring my grandmother into my business, so I named it Red Zone Marketing back in 1994.
1: Mm, That is a fabulous story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, great. So people can go to com, and on there they can also follow you on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, then also our Executive Girlfriends group members, Patty, will make sure that all of your contact information is current on our private website that is for members only, and uh, So if you uh, were listening to Mary Beth and you were out for a walk or in your car uh, and didn't have a pen, you can just go to uh, the Executive Girlfriends Group, com platform and uh, get in touch with Mary Beth that way. So, Mary Beth, thank you so much for joining us. I had a great time uh, both hearing about the book and and talking about, uh, and, and of course, my mind is racing about how all these things apply to me. So I'm going to go back and read the book with a pen in hand and, and mark down the things that I need to put in place right away.
2: Well, wonderful, and thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today.
1: Well, great, Mary Beth, and hope, hope you guys are getting a little bit of warm weather. Has has um, has it started to get warm yet? I know in March it's a bit dicey up in your part of the country.
2: We literally go from seventy degrees to snow, and it has been the craziest weather I have ever seen. But two days ago we had seventy degrees, and today it's probably cold enough to snow.
1: Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Well, we're so we our just have to be prepared to go over to Orlando. So. <laughs> oh man! But, but we have we've had uh, actually a very very nice winter this year, and uh, but it's going to be a hot summer, I can tell. All yeah. right, my dear. Well, you have a great weekend, and uh, I just uh, wish you all the best.
2: Well, thank you so much, and I wish you the best as well.
1: All right, terrific. I'm going to end the recording now, and just bear with me for one second here.
0: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumbacasino